Uh, most of us treat joining clubs or organisations in a very practical, uh, self-centred way. Uh, we're happy to join as long as it's in our best interests. It's true, I think, isn't it? Uh, we sign the kids up for soccer or gymnastics or dance because our kids benefit, they learn something. We join the swimming club because we enjoy exercise or the friendship. We join the dog obedience school so our dog will learn to behave. Uh, we missed that one. Uh, we enrol in a course to learn how to knit or to use our camera or build a website because it benefits us. And that might last as long as uh, we decide and, until uh, it doesn't meet our needs anymore or we don't feel comfortable and then we'll stop uh, because it's about us. Uh, we're the customer, they're just providing a service. That's the way things work, isn't it, with clubs and organisations? The problem in Corinth was that people were treating the church like that, as if it was all about them, they were the consumer, church was uh, providing the service. Church was for their benefit, for their glory. Uh, church was all about them receiving rather than giving. And Paul says that attitude's wrong. We saw last week how it showed itself in the way they ate the Lord's Supper. Instead of focusing on Jesus, instead of including and caring for their church family, they focused on feeding themselves, even getting drunk. And so it wasn't the Lord's Supper they celebrated, it was their supper. And now in chapter 12, Paul turns to another of the questions they'd asked in a previous letter, now about spiritual gifts, we see in verse 1. Right from the very first paragraphs of the letter, we can see that the Corinthians are focused on spiritual gifts. Uh, right back in chapter 1, verse 4, Paul thanks God for them because God has enriched them in every way, in all their speaking and their knowledge. They don't lack any spiritual gift. But as we keep reading, we see that uh, they're proud and they're boastful. Uh, they emphasise wisdom and knowledge and they're jealous about which group is better than some other group. And by the time we get to chapter 12, we see how those attitudes are showing themselves in the way they use spiritual gifts. They want to be first, they want to be best, they want to be most important, they want to be seen rather than serve. And Paul's going to turn what they think about church upside down because church should be the complete opposite of the way clubs and organisations work in the world. Because firstly, church is about God, it's not about you. And secondly, church is about many rather than one. So firstly, church is about God, not you. The chapter begins, uh, they've asked about spiritual gifts and so Paul is going to teach them about spiritual gifts. From verse 4, he says, yes, there are different kinds of gifts, but it's the same Holy Spirit who gives them. Then he says, sure, there are different kinds of service, but it's the same Lord that everyone is serving. And then in verse 6, there are different kinds of working, uh, but it's the same God who works or who energises uh, all of those gifts in everybody. God is at work, uh, not just them. The Corinthians thought that gifts separated people uh, you could divide people into to the haves and the have-nots. Who, who had special gifts, spectacular, attention-grabbing gifts? And then there were another group of people who, well, they weren't that special. 
But Paul says that's not right. Gifts shouldn't divide. Gifts should unite. That's God's purpose. There's one God, one spirit who gives gifts, one Lord who everyone serves. It's all about furthering God's agenda, not theirs. There's one God who guides and energises as those gifts work themselves out. It's about God, not you. In fact, verses 4 to 6 are interesting. Uh, They suggest that something about the nature of God himself is reflected in the church. Did you notice we've got Father, Son and Holy Spirit there in verses 4 to 6? And each of them contribute differently to the way gifts work in the church. But there's still one God. Uh, One God in three persons is diversity that works together in unity. Each person of the Trinity works with but doesn't dominate the others. And church should be like that. Church should reflect that diversity that works together in unity, working for the common good. The very fact that they're called gifts should move the emphasis away from people who have them towards the God who gives them. Uh, Gifts are all about uh, the giver rather than the receiver. The fact that their gifts should produce in people thanks and humility, not comparison and pride. Well, next, verse 7 to 11, Paul gets specific about the gifts and he describes a whole range of different gifts. But they've all been given for the common good. The Holy Spirit gives wisdom or knowledge or special faith or gifts of healing or miracles or prophecy or tongues. And then he comes to the conclusion in verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit and he gives them to each one just as he determines. Gifts are given according to what God decides, not about how special we are uh, because we've received a certain gift. God is the one who distributes gifts across the entire church, right down to your individual gifts. You jump down a couple of paragraphs, down to verse 18, he makes a similar point. But now the image is turned from gifts to a body that has many parts. But once again, it's all about God arranging things just the way he wants. See there in verse 18? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So whether we're talking gifts or whether we're talking parts, uh, body parts, God is the one who gives Uh, and who distributes just the way he wants. So what does that mean? What attitude should we have if that's the the truth? Well, it it means we should be content with our gifts. We should be content with uh, our place. We should be content with our church. Uh, We shouldn't be jealous. We shouldn't be discontent. Uh, As elders, as leaders in the church, sometimes we can say, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we had more of this or more of that or someone who could do this and maybe for you as an individual you might say I wish I could sing or play the guitar or wish I could lead Bible studies like that person over there but the truth is God has distributed the gifts he's arranged the parts of the body just the way he wants and so what that means is we have exactly who God needs at the moment for this church to do the things God wants done at this moment and so that's comforting Uh, it doesn't mean though that uh, as leaders we should just be content with the way things are 
that's not understanding how God is in charge of things. We, we still need to work hard at identifying and encouraging people to make the most of, of what they've got and who they are. We should be training and then uh, releasing them so they can use their gifts better. And I think it means for you as an individual uh, that you should be looking for opportunities to serve. Uh, what needs doing is a better question to be asking than looking inward and saying, what are my spiritual gifts? Uh, look outside for needs and then look to God to equip you. Maybe I could do that. Maybe I could have a go. Maybe I could do a course and learn how to do it. Uh, because it's about others. It's about God uh, rather than being about you. Well, Paul's second point, it's connected and it's woven through the chapter as well. God's purpose is that spiritual gifts are about the many rather than the one. So back up in verse 7, we read, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit, that is the, the gifts that God's Spirit gives, is given for the common good. God shows himself to individuals, not so that just one person can be built up, but it's for everybody's good, for everyone's benefit. Gifts are meant to be shared, not kept to yourself. So I guess that prompts the obvious question, how are you using the gifts that God's given you? Uh, is it to uh, benefit others? Each one has been given the manifestation of the Spirit. Verse 11 says something similar, the Spirit gives gifts to each one, just as he determines. Or verse 18, God has arranged each part of the body, every one of them, just the way he wants them to be. So that means even you, if you think, oh, it doesn't mean me, it means other people who've got gifts. No, even you, God has gifted for a purpose, and that's for the common good. And so I guess the question is, are you doing that? You show your gratitude for what God has given by using the gift you've been given. I don't know if you ever got a Christmas gift or a birthday gift that you didn't really want and it just got stuck in a cupboard. Uh, well, that's what we're doing to God uh, if we're not using the gifts he's given us. We're showing gratitude when we use them. Well, let's flip it around. Uh, there are some people who, who want to use their gifts, but they're not doing it for the right motivation. They're not doing it for the common good. Uh, we shouldn't use our gifts to promote ourselves or build up ourselves. I was talking to someone a while ago in a, in a church not too far from here that it was sort of moving from being a traditional tradition-based to a Bible-based church. And the song leader, who'd been doing the job for quite a while, she wasn't a Christian, and she told my friend the only reason she came to church was she got to sing on the stage. It was all about her to perform. Now, it doesn't matter how good her voice was, that's not what church is about, it's not what worship's about. And she wasn't using her gift for the common good. Uh, from verse 12, we, we get a long section describing how the church is like a body. He sort of moves from the language of gifts to one of a body that is one but made up of many parts. It seems a simple enough idea, but right at the beginning in verse 12, there's something that maybe is unexpected to you. Have a look at verse 12. The body is a, a unit though it's made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. 
Does that seem unexpected to you? I think we expect to read that the metaphor is the body with parts and then that represents the church. But instead it says Christ. Christ has many parts, but one body. And Paul has got this strong connection between the church and Christ. The church is Christ's body. Yes, the church is one body. It's full of individuals who are united and connected. But we're actually only connected together because each of us individually is connected to Christ. Uh, He is the source of our unity. Uh, Our unity is not based around a songbook or a rule book or a confession of faith or a constitution. It's Christ who joins us together. It's not common interests. It's not friendship. It's not agreed goals. It's Christ that binds us together. Verse 13 goes on and reminds us of that connection between Christians and Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Once again, it's this slightly difficult thing to pin down, isn't it? It says we were baptised into one body. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean we were baptised into the church or we were baptised into Jesus? Well, I think the answer, Paul would say, is yes. Uh, When we became Christians, we were joined to Jesus himself. God poured his spirit into us. This mysterious thing that it's hard to explain, but God joins us to Jesus individually. But when we were baptised, we were also joined to his body here on earth, to the church. It's not a normal thing to be a solo Christian. Sometimes get asked the question, can I be a Christian and not go to church? Well, it's just a wrong-headed question, I think, because God hasn't designed it that way. When God joined you to Jesus, he joined you to his church. That's the way things should be. And that's the way we do things in this church. Every time someone is baptised, they are baptised not just to show that they're joined to Jesus, but they're baptised into the membership of this church. Because one is a representation of the other. And so that connection with each other has a number of practical consequences. We're all part of one body that'll show itself in a number of different ways. Uh, The first thing it means uh, in verse 15 is that each person belongs to the body equally. Each person belongs equally. So look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it wouldn't for that reason cease to be part of the body. Sometimes a foot can uh, think, well, I don't have the fine motor skills of a hand. But a foot's still pretty good at walking across hot sand. It's pretty good at climbing up a ladder. It's perfectly suited to the job that it does. And of course, uh, this is an illustration of of the church. Every person belongs. We're not to think, oh, because I don't have this gift, I don't belong. Uh, Whatever a person contributes, uh, it's not only one type of person who belongs in the church. Do our attitudes, do the way we do things reflect that truth, that everybody belongs? Uh, The second thing 
we find is that one body, many parts, means that each part contributes. Each part contributes. Have a look there in verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? It's meant to bring this uh, ludicrous picture to your mind. Uh, imagine a body that was just an ear. You know, what, what was that um, the ad for? There was a beer ad a few years ago. There was a tongue sort of going looking for really tasty beer and they were sort of slurping across the, the, the floor. That's the idea I think we're meant to, to have in our heads. Uh, it's ludicrous. A church made up of all the same type of gifts would be just as unhealthy as a body that was an ear or an eye or a tongue. If a church was just talkers but no listeners, if a church was just preachers but no helpers, if a church was all thinkers but no feelers, if a church was all young families but no grandparents, or if a church was just oldies but no kids, I think there's something that's basically unbiblical about a church that's designed to cater for one type of person who fits into one sort of box. You know, this service, this church is designed for university students aged 18 to 21. As long as you fit into that, you're welcome, but if you don't, well... It might be easier to cater for a church like that, but is it biblical and and what are we missing out on in terms of the rich diversity of how... God distributes his gifts. Well, the third practical application of this uh, idea of one body and many parts is that each part needs each other part. Each part needs each other part. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Uh, This is really the, the flip side of the first point. Uh, it's, a, it's an application for someone who thinks he's better than somebody else because he thinks his gift is more important. There's no room for pride if you are just a part of a body. An eye might be very sophisticated, it might do a, a very important job, might be highly developed, or a head uh, does a very important job, but they can't, those body parts can't do without the other parts that do a simpler job. The eye or the head can guide and direct a body but they can't action anything without hands and feet. And it's the same with people in a church. Leaders leaders and speakers, uh, we sometimes have a temptation to think that we don't need anybody else. Anybody who has an upfront sort of important role. But the reality is it's the unseen, the less complicated, the less noticed jobs that are just as important. If the treasurer doesn't pay the electricity bill, there'd be no light, there'd be no sound for people to hear the preachers. If no one opened the doors or replaced the paper towels or turned on the urn or mowed the lawns, then things would be difficult for everybody. But Paul goes one step further. There's less impressive and there's more impressive, but not only are the less impressive parts equal with the less impressive, uh, with the more impressive, God actually gives them greater honour. Have a look at how he describes the human body, verse 22. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. Think about the body, a shoulder, a kneecap. They're pretty strong. They're in public view for everyone to see, if you're wearing shorts, I suppose. But the reality is they're not crucial body parts, are they? Uh, people live without a shoulder or a kneecap. Uh, but a heart or a liver is another matter, isn't it? God has hidden those very important uh, parts of the body inside ribs to protect them. They're actually indispensable, even if they're not obvious. We can't live without them. And then Paul talks about the private, embarrassing bits of our body. And we're very careful about who gets to see those. That's the way God's designed the human body. And Paul says it's like that with Christ's body, the church. Uh, look at the comparison, halfway through verse 24. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it. The way God has put the church together makes it unique in the world. He's given greater honour to the parts that lacked it. So what does that mean? Well, think about clubs and groups and organisations. Uh, people who come in who are different or weak or obnoxious or, or exhausting, well, they just want to push them out. They want to exclude them altogether. But a church that's healthy will welcome those sorts of people. Uh, God gives them greater honour, is the way Paul describes it. Uh, let me give you an example. My friend Jacob has two mentally, physically handicapped sons. Uh, a little while ago, he, he posted a video of one of them uh, up the front at his church during the singing. And he was clapping and dancing, had a huge grin on his face, uh, and he was standing there next to the, to the singers and the musicians. Now, Ethan can't speak. It's hard to know how much he understands about being a Christian, but he was communicating something in that video as I watched it. Communicating something about how he thought of God and uh, how he was responding to God. And it was just as inspiring and encouraging as the clearest, most eloquent sermon. And I think it also communicates something about the song leader and the church, that they could just carry on and not bat an eyelid and welcome and celebrate Ethan as he was doing that. I think that that's the sort of thing Paul means when he says God has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it. He's used mightily the sorts of people uh, that the rest of the world may not uh, accept and, and might dismiss. I think about uh, the lives of Christians who've had the greatest impact on me. And it's sort of upside down because it's not the people who have just succeeded and had one victory after another in their life. The, the people who have everything together nearly always the most powerful witness and the greatest encouragement comes from people who are, are desperate and are weak and life is often falling apart and they're struggling but they're clinging on to God and God is working in them and God is working through them. They're the sort of people God is using and giving greater honour to, uh, the parts that lacked honour and the parts that maybe the world dismisses. So what does that mean? What does that uh, 
that truth mean? Well, it means we should rejoice and welcome and not be embarrassed by those awkward and those inconvenient people. Uh, we should look at them and celebrate them and, and see God's training and encouragement in them and through them for us as a church. And it can really set a church apart when we include people like that. And as we work at those sorts of attitudes and actions, we'll begin to see God's purposes being worked out. Uh, do you see how Paul describes it in verse 25? Uh, God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honour to the parts that lacked it. Why? So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. God's way of moulding us into his image seems to be as we generously and patiently and faithfully include and honour the, the weak and the dishonourable among us. Miraculously, divisions and boundaries seem to drop away. Uh, the, the guards come down and we become more real and transparent with each other and we share and we support. Instead of us being concerned about the image we present, uh, instead of being concerned about the wealthy and the spectacularly gifted among us, there'll be an equal concern for each other, whether, whatever people are able to contribute. And we can begin to see and empathise. We can begin to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who are honoured. And, we can be, and we'll start to see everyone contributing to that sort of building up because even the weak are contributing and God is using them with that whole range of gifts described in verse 28, uh, whether young or old, educated or not, experienced or not. Each part can contribute. And because we all want to see a healthy body, verse 31, will eagerly desire the greater gifts, that is, the gifts that actually build people up, that point them to Jesus and lead them to maturity. And so as we do it, I think we become less and less like the world and more and more like the sort of body that Jesus would have us be. And I want to finish with this description of how Paul describes uh, the church in Ephesians chapter 4. And it, using this same language about the body. This is what we're aiming for. Christ gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ Speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. Uh, may that be us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to be a church like that uh, for your honour and glory and for our good and our encouragement and our building up. Amen.